From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. Hello! Welcome back to episode 12 of the Cannabis Podcast. If you've been here before, I'm glad you came on back. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, I'm glad you stopped by. I hope you'll be back for more in the future. This week, I am pretty excited because I get to debut the new transition jingle that completes our name change from what we used to call a Strain Explain to, are you ready? Okay, Strain Explain is now going to become Cultivar Corner. As I expressed last week, I thought maybe getting the transition jingle changed could be a bit of a problem for my musicologist, or in other words, my son Ian. (laughs) But apparently, no. Last week, I simply mentioned that it would be cool to have a new jingle and put it out to the universe. The universe apparently had a discussion with my son, and I got an email this week, which had tacked along to it an attachment which was the work of that very creative and talented son, with a new musical interlude, and he stepped right up and did it. I'm not going to play it for you now. I'm going to tease you with it. But that is our new introduction to Cultivar Corner. And this week on Cultivar Corner, we're going to take a look at another Broken Coast product. We've kind of been centering on that for the last couple of weeks. That continues with a look at a hybrid, a 70-30 split called Ruxton. Also discovered another site from the Ganja, or rather the Guru of Ganja, as he likes to be called, edrosenthal.com. Had some tips this week for the best way to store your cannabis. We will take a look at some of the details on edrosenthal.com. Has not yet responded to my request for an interview. <laughs> Might just be ignoring me, who knows? And then there was a really interesting study that I want to look at as well. Surprisingly enough, this study came out from Scotiabank. Now, the results of this study, probably no surprise to anyone who has even had a modicum of exposure to the illegal cannabis market before legalization. This study is indicating that over the course of 2019, they are predicting that the black market will still retain a large portion of the cannabis industry. No surprise. We'll look at those details a little bit later, and we'll throw in a few rambling memories of some cannabis use in the past. That's what's in store for you this week on episode 12 of the Cannabis Podcast. Well, if you ever concerned yourself with the best way for you to store your cannabis, I came across a site this last week that was absolutely astounding the amount of detail they have on this particular topic. EdRosenthal.com is the place that I discovered. Ed refers to himself as the Guru of Ganja. So this is from the Guru of Ganja blog. And it is titled, How to Properly Store Cannabis. I'll give you some of the highlights, and I, of course, will include the link in the description for the episode if you want to check out and discover all the details for yourself at EzraRosenthal.com. Cannabis quality and potency change over time. No surprise to anybody, I suppose. In the living plant, the precursors of THC and CBD are found in their acid forms, which is TCA and CBDA. These are not psychotropic. Only when they lose a portion of their molecules do they become active as THC and CBD. This occurs naturally over time and is accelerated in the presence of heat and light, especially ultraviolet light. Now, once your buds are dried and cured, the potency is at its peak. Over time, THC is gradually going to degrade to CBN, cannabinol, 
a far less psychotropic cannabinoid than THC. As it says on edrosenthal.com, research conducted at the University of Mississippi on low-quality cannabis stored for four years at room temperature, and they're suggesting room temperature at 68 to 72 degrees Fahrenheit, or here in Canada, 20 to 22 degrees Celsius, they found that the percentage loss of THC was proportional to time in storage, with the greatest loss in the very first year. And of course, as the THC level declines, the concentration of CBN increases. For example, they showed in the first year of stores, the total THC loss was at 16.6%. In the second year, it was 268 And in year four, it jumped up to 41.4% of total THC loss. Now, also on edrosenthal.com, they talk about whether storing things in a freezer is good, because we've heard some people say that. But they say there are several problems with storing cannabis in a freezer, especially when supercooled to zero degrees Fahrenheit or minus 18 degrees Celsius. Even under higher temperatures in the freezer, the glands become very brittle and are easily and inadvertently shaken off the buds. So for that reason, once placed in the freezer, the container should be handled very, very gently. And removed, the buds should be given time to warm up so they become a little more pliable before you start handling them. The moisture in the container freezes and can also form ice crystals, especially during long storage, which may occur when buds have not been dried sufficiently. In several experiments, properly dried marijuana in a plastic container developed no ice crystals when placed in a freezer for several months. The trichomes remained intact, which is exactly what we're after. If moisture is a problem, vacuum sealing mostly eliminates it, although the process may result in crushed buds. Another solution is to remove the air with moisture-free gas, such as carbon dioxide or nitrogen. These can be injected into the container as the ambient air exits through another hole, and then both holes are sealed. When freezing marijuana in glass jars, choose shoulderless containers, as shouldered containers are more likely to develop cracks. Metal and wood containers can also be used for freezing. The other thing you need to be concerned with, of course, in storing your cannabis is heat and light, especially UV light because UV light evaporates terpenes and erodes quality. Only an opaque container will completely protect the terpenes and therefore the quality of the bud stored inside. An opaque container with a white exterior reflects heat, keeping the contents cool. And using a desiccant packet that maintains a set humidity of about 60 to 65% ensures the proper level of moisture is retained without causing mold. Terpene molecules vary in size and the smallest one evaporates at lower temperatures, starting in the high 60s. Buds kept at room temperature in an open container will experience some loss of terpenes. Storing buds in a refrigerator or freezer keeps terpenes in a liquid state rather than gassing off. Now, what kind of material should you use to store your cannabis? Well, on edrosenthal.com, they list a whole bunch of them, and we'll just kind of quickly go down the list. You can check out all the details, of course, for yourself in the link with the attachments to the episode. Glass? Well, glass makes great, inert, hard, non-biodegradable storage containers. The downside? Most glass jars are clear, and light degrades trichomes, which doesn't matter if the buds are stored in the dark. For storing buds exposed to light, an opaque glass is best. What about violet glass? Violet glass blocks visible light, with the exception of the color violet. It is also semi-permeable to UVA, and infrared light allowing about 40 to 60% to penetrate, depending on the glass formula and the thickness. How about stainless steel? 
Stainless steel tubs with plastic seals and flip-top locking mechanisms are popular because they're strong and can be stacked. The metal does not interact with the buds, and it is impervious to outside air. Stainless steel containers are an excellent choice for storage, and I've heard that from a number of different sources. I may, in fact, have to investigate that one myself a little bit more. What about plastic? Cannabis is slightly acidic and lipophilic, so it degrades some plastics. Plastics are stickier than glass or stainless steel. Odorless turkey bags are popular because they contain odors and are inexpensive. However, they're easily pierced by stems and offer no protection from shaking and movement, which leads to more damage and shake. Five-gallon buckets sealed with toothed, locking, airtight lids will protect buds from getting crushed and can be stacked. What about desiccant? A desiccant is a substance that removes moisture from the surrounding air. Well, desiccants are often found in certain food packages, like dried seaweed and in electronics, you know, those little packets you get when you open up the box. Silicone packets, newspaper, or anything extra dry acts as a desiccant and absorbs moisture in a storage container. Vacuum packaging? Well, vacuum packaging is popular because it decreases the amount of oxygen present in storage containers. Oxygen, of course, is corrosive and degrades the bud's color. Decreased presence of oxygen also discourages the growth of spoilage bacteria, but not anaerobic bacteria. Anaerobic bacteria thrive in low and no oxygen environments that are damp and have food, the buds. So never seal and store wet or damp buds unless you want to see it go bye-bye to mold. Gas-based storing, storing frozen, fresh frozen cannabis, storing shatter. There are a whole bunch of more details ready for you on edrosenthal.com if you want to look at the better ways to store your cannabis, and I think I'm going to be investing in some stainless steel containers because based on my experience, my particular environment, that may just be the best way for us to store our cannabis. If you want more details, check out the link to edrosenthal.com, which is located under the episode on cannabispodcast.com. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Go to the corner, go to the corner, oh yeah. Go to the corner, please explain this stuff to me. I just love it. <laughs> I get such a big smile on my face every time I play that piece since my son Ian delivered it to me. As I mentioned before, I love all of my children, but I especially love my son Ian and his creativity today. For Cultivar Corner, not only has he given me a name for this, moving it from Strain Explain, to Cultivar Corner, and I think that works really well. And it sounds really good coming into it. Just sets me up perfectly. So here we are, the first Cultivar Corner. And today we're carrying on with a look at some of the Broken Coast cannabis which we have been pretty impressed with so far, and I suspect today is going to be very similar. So today, we are looking at a hybrid. This is a 30% indica, 70% sativa hybrid from Broken Coast, and it's called Ruxton. And I have not had a smell of this yet. Let's have a punch the top there. Oh, I just love the smell of a newly opened container that has some beautiful cannabis inside of it. There's just something wonderful. I guess that's the same thing for some people with wine. They get that first sniff of that wine, and it's the same thing. But now I am looking at these beautiful little buds of Ruxton from Broken Coast. 
Oh, so I'm thinking that there's a little limonene in there based on the smell. Oh, get that citrus taste. Now, because there is a 30% indica in this strain, there's also some myrcene and the other... Oh, just a beautiful smell and really nicely trimmed buds, I have to say. Now, again, Broken Coast is indoor hand harvested. And let me give you all the details of this before we actually sample it and see where it's going to take us today. Ruxton, a sativa-dominant hybrid. Sour Diesel is its original name. It is a sativa-dominant strain that is the result of a cross between OG Kush and Sour Diesel. This exceptionally pungent phenotype... Mmm, I wouldn't agree with that. Mmm, really pungent. This exceptionally pungent phenotype produces a strong, heavy smoke and intense flavor with notes of lime and diesel. Rounded off and well-balanced, Ruxton retains the best qualities of its parents. And again, the parents are OG Kush and Sour Diesel. Oh, really looks nice. Good-sized buds, not huge, but not really tiny buds either. It's probably going to take maybe one or two buds to roll in good joint to sample this up which we will get to momentarily. But let me give you the other details of Ruxton. I forgot to mention last time when we talked, I think it was Quadra we did last time, which was a $9.99, no, that was an $11.99 per gram cost. Same thing with Ruxton from BC Cannabis Stores. If you go and check out Ruxton from Broken Coast, you'll find it is probably still $11.99 a gram. That's what we picked up for the sample was a gram. It is produced in BC, as already covered. It is indoor and it is hand harvested. And that really makes a difference in my mind in the quality of the buds that we end up with, that hand harvesting. Having done some of that myself, (laughs) it is a really nice way to finish off a cannabis crop. What's it contain? Well, the THC level for the individual buds before decarboxylation is 0.83%. And the total After decarboxylation, 18.5% THC. So that's right up in my wheelhouse. I'm finding I really enjoy stuff that is in the THC between 15 and 20%. This at 18.5% should be right in the middle. I'm hoping it's going to work really well. CBD, again, relatively low, and that's sitting at 0.4%. Already talked a little bit about the terpenes, the terpene profile in our Cultivar Corner Explain. The caryophylline is sitting at 0.4 to 0.83%. Limonene is between 0.22 and 0.45%. And in the myrcene, there is between 0.33 and 0.92% of myrcene. Those are the terpenes which give Ruxton its magic taste, its magic aroma, and I'm about to find out its magic effect. Now, before we go down that path, I'm going to do one more thing, and that is to pull out my little magnifying glass and let's take a look at one of these buds and see what we can see in terms of the trichomes and how frosty they are, how prevalent they are. And as I dive right into this nice little nug of Ruxton, oh, oh, trichome rich. Oh, it's like I'm looking at a field of trichomes here. Looks like they were all done at the milky stage. Not seeing a lot of clear ones, but I am seeing a lot of milky. Oh, wow. Really, really nice. I can't wait to give this a taste. So, joint is in my hand, going to my mouth. And now, in fact, I'm writing it. 
Okay, so now we're looking for... Mmm, pretty pungent smoke. Strong, heavy smoke and intense flavor with notes of lime and diesel. Let's see. Hmm? Oh. Wow. Whoa. Two hits of that. <laughs> and it went immediately to my happy eyes. So 70% sativa, 30% indica. And let's take a look at the ash that's coming off of this wonderfully tasty and pungent joint. Oh, yeah. So it's definitely a headstone. There's, there's more head involved. As I look at the ash, we're predominantly white. There's a little bit of darkness right at the, at the edges of that. But as it gets closer to the joint and rolls down, definitely turns white. Drops off as it's appropriate. A nice euphoric high. Bodies, yeah, my body's feeling all right. But definitely that 70% sativa is taking it into a fairly energetic head high. Oh, I like the taste. Compared to the disappointment we had a couple of episodes ago, the Broken Coast is certainly showing us that it is consistently good quality and consistently high quality. <laughs> I am really buzzed now, which is going to be fun because now I'm going to go back and do the rest of the episode and it will have a whole different flavor now that I'm high on some Ruxton, a 70-30 split, so 70 on the sativa, 30% on the indica. Mm. And again, their description is talking about a strong, heavy smoke with intense flavor and notes of lime and diesel with limonene and myrcene. Oh, <laughs> I am feeling really good. So good, in fact, that I think we finish off Cultivar Corner with one more listen to our new jingle. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner, Cultivar Corner, oh yeah. Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. There you go. Cultivar Corner, our first. Next week, we'll, we'll do another Cultivar Corner with the last of our current Broken Coast stock, and that will be Gabriola next week. Now, that is some cannabis that is from the legal cannabis environment. What I want to talk about now is the black market. We've all talked about it. It's been hushed about. <laughs> well, actually, there's a lot of people who don't hush about it. They have not made any intent to move over to the legal market for a number of different reasons. Quality, as people have been describing, some of the cannabis that they have been receiving from the various retailers across the country, mostly provincial governments. The quality has been less than desired. We've certainly experienced that with a few of the explains we have tried to do as well. Really dry product, just crumbles in your hands. Didn't used to get that when you bought your cannabis in the illegal market. When he went to one of the dispensaries, the prevalent dispensaries that were in British Columbia before legalization occurred, he never got really dry cannabis. It was always good quality, and they always had some. There was never a danger of running out or going and saying, oh, no, we don't have any of that. I mean, sure, the strains changed, or rather the cultivars changed. Sometimes you couldn't get Rockstar. 
Sometimes you couldn't get any death bubba. But at other times, there was always something there. Not like what we're experiencing now in the retail market. And of course, here in British Columbia, <laughs> it's still difficult to actually go and buy cannabis anywhere unless you are in Pouscoupe, Kimberley, Vancouver. Now there's also licenses available now for Invermere, Trail, and there was another one as well that I can't remember off the top of my head. But what I want to discuss now is a discussion on a paper put out by Scotiabank. And this is something that I uncovered at thegrowthop.com. So that's where the source of this material is from. And it is a look at a study just completed by Scotiabank. And headline says, Black market is not going anywhere. It will control 71% of cannabis sales in Canada this year. Scotiabank is the source of that. And they start out saying, suggesting that the lack of consistent supply in legal cannabis shops has been a major market stimulator for the illicit sector. And I'll dive into a little bit more of the article. The logistical challenges and related supply issues of producing legal cannabis in Canada are many. And as a result, the Canadian cannabis black market is booming. I, in fact, have friends who have not made any intent to move over into the legal market, still entirely deal on the black market. Carrying on with this article, a new research note from Scotiabank analysts estimate that the black market will control 71% of cannabis sales in 2019 in Canada. The authors of the study, Oliver Rowe and Ben Isaacson, calculated that figure, which reduced its legal recreational sales prediction to about 30%. And in doing so, they cite supply issues, government inspections, packaging snags, and quality control issues as some of the reasons for this low percentage. To quote them, as we expect these issues, particularly the limited retail presence in key provinces, to continue through 2019, we have reduced those volumes by 100 metric tons, or 30% of legal demand. We forecast illicit conversion will be swift, although limited form factors and potentially limits of supply may keep 2019 low. They suggest that it is the lack of consistent supply in legal cannabis shops across the country that has been the major market stimulator for the illicit sector, not plagued by the same regulatory restrictions, taxes, and licensing fees as the legal industries. And they can therefore offer consumers a more consistent supply at a considerably cheaper price. And some of the people that I have been talked to, instead of the, for example, in our cultivar corner today, the brand we were looking at was Ruxton, and that was going for eleven ninety nine a gram. There are reports that in the black market sector, one can find cannabis as low as five twenty-five a gram. I haven't heard anybody go as low as four, but that would be nice too. So there is definitely a difference and a disparity in the prices of cannabis on the legal and the black market. Not a surprise to me, this particular study, I mean, a lot of people have already been saying this, that until the supply gets to match the demand in the legal world, and some are suggesting that may still be two or three years away, which I still can't fathom. Being in British Columbia, we have so many people who grew such good cannabis for so many years. And now there's starting to be talks of trying to create some cannabis cooperatives in BC to get over the fact that only the licensed producers can be producing this. And maybe there is a craft market, so to speak, where we could create a cooperative and have these growers come together and produce some of this fine, fine cannabis that they used to do 
and bring it into the legal market. Maybe that's one of the ways that the black market will be reduced from 71%, maybe down to 50%. Any predictions from you? (laughs) It's clear that the black market is still well-established in our country, and part of the reason for that is the way that cannabis legalization was introduced in the country without having the proper retail facilities, without having the proper supply, and without having a set standard across the country. We have 10, 12 different ways of dealing with cannabis distribution, cannabis sales. It's a bit wacky, if you ask me. (laughs) So if you want all the details on this particular story, again, the link is underneath episode 12, back on CannabisPodcast.com. I was thinking the other day about all the discussion now about cannabis at work. And in certain circumstances, I can absolutely understand nothing should be imbibed when one is doing particularly intensive work with big, heavy machinery or areas where people could be harmed based on your actions. And it reminded me of the fact that I used to be a broadcaster, probably no surprise. And over the course of my broadcasting career, I worked at a lot of radio stations across this country, this country being Canada. And I can attest that in, yeah, okay, 100% of those radio stations, I imbibed in cannabis as part of my job. I didn't have to worry about anybody dying because I played the wrong song or I did an introduction wrong, or I stomped on some vocals. But it sure made my job a whole lot more enjoyable. And based on the creativity, which is a lot of that job, I think it contributed to the popularity of my show as well. At least I like to think so. And what it made me think of was this one particular instance where I left a radio station in northern Ontario. That's probably as close as I'll get. And I moved to a different location, closer on the prairies. I had been offered a job to do a morning show there and had taken it. And almost as soon as I left, the program director of the station that I had been at before kept asking me to come back. He kept offering me more money to come back. Every time he called, he was offering me more money to come back and and carry on the job that I was doing before. It was becoming a little tedious for me because I had no intention of moving back there. I had been there once and I was not going back there to live at all. And then the discussion changed when a friend of mine went to that town in northern Ontario and took the job that I previously had. He was as good as I did, but like me, he imbibed a little bit. And when I asked this particular manager why he kept calling to get me back, and why he was having a problem with my friend John. He said, well, well, I mean, he sounds really good when he's on the air, but, but he's smoking a lot of pot. <laughs> I just started chuckling. And I said, okay, Ray, you have been trying to get me to come back to do my show for six months now, right? He agreed. I said, why, why do you want me to come back? Well, because you did a great job. I loved the way you sounded on the radio. I said, okay, John sounds good too? Yeah. (laughs) Well, Ray, you may not be aware of it now, or you may not have been aware of it at the time, but I can attest that almost, no, actually exclusively, before every single show, I smoked at least two joints. 
Now, if that's more cannabis than you would like him to be smoking, then maybe tell him to limit it to two. <laughs> he was flabbergasted. He truly did not believe that that was the case. And I said, well, I hate to tell you, but it is true. I guess it must have been something I said. Because after that, he never called me again. And that about wraps it up for this episode of The Cannabis Podcast. Next week, I invite you back to Cultivar Corner, where we are going to take a look at our final Broken Coast cultivar. And that is Gabriola, the most expensive of the Broken Coast that we have picked up so far. And that is $13.99 a gram. I'm looking for a good high next week. And something else I wanted to mention. I just started reading a great little book. And coincidentally, it is called The Little Book of Cannabis, How Marijuana Can Improve Your Life. And it's written by Amanda Siebert. Really enjoying the read so far. I encourage you to check it out. It's available on Amazon and probably everywhere you get books. I'm also going to try and get a hold of Amanda and see if we can get her to come on and talk about the book on a future episode. Also, probably getting closer to the Tricomb Institute, now having re-engaged and relaunched the Tricomb University, I'm hoping to get someone from the Tricomb Institute on to talk about that in the next couple of weeks as well. Until next time, that is it for episode number 12 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the Cannabis Infused Studio. High above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.